shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it, ladies and gentlemen, the best time of the week. It's time to go Inside EMS. And, you know, this is the relaxing time. This is the time we get to sit back, we get to put our hands behind our head, we get to put our feet up, and we get to listen to some great radio. But here's the guy that I couldn't do this show with. If Kelly Grayson wasn't here doing this show, I'd have to quit. And here he is. Kelly, come on in here and say hello to everyone. Howdy, folks. I'm I'm relaxed myself, man. I'm, I'm kicked back in my usual podcasting attire. Oh, you know, I'm naked goodness. in my velour beanbag chair eating Cheetos, shiner bock at my side. Hey, let me ask you um, a question. It, let me, you always say, this, is it the same bag of Cheetos every time? No, it's a, it's a new bag of Cheetos. See, that's my that's my ritual. That's that's how I uh, I get in touch with my muse. You know, I have to position the <laughs> position the uh, velour beanbag chair just so and settle into it and and pop open a, a, a cool shiner box and a very a new bag of Cheetos and that starts my podcasting day. That's how I get into the zone, man. That's the zone, right? But here's the thing that I think is exciting. To, 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 if there's anything exciting about this, is see, I thought it was a Naugahyde beanbag chair, so at least it's velour. Oh, no, 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 no. Fat, fat sweaty guys in Naugahyde don't mix. We, you have to have velour. All right, so if everybody has that pretty picture now. <laughs> but, uh, Kelly, I think before we start, we, we really have to send some thoughts and prayers up to the folks up there in Alberta, Canada. And uh, if you haven't heard, uh, you know, everyone out there, if you haven't heard what's going on up in Alberta, uh, there's a town that, uh, you know, is, is in the, in, close to the wilderness. And uh, it's, in, it's uh, surrounded now by wildfire. And they had to evacuate 90,000 people from this town. And really what it looks like is this town's going to be a total loss because of wildfire. And, uh, you know, we want to send, uh, if anybody deserves thoughts and prayers, it's the folks up there in Alberta. And uh, we certainly want to, uh, you know, send our thoughts to our public safety brethren that are up there trying to save people. And uh, it's just a horrible thing going on up there right now, Kelly. Yeah, it's it's uh, prayers go out to the residents of Fort McMurray and and uh, all that they're going through. And and we you know hope for the safety of the uh, the firefighters, the wildland firefighters that are trying to get that fire under control, and hope that they do fairly soon. You know, you can say that this this sort of thing is the the natural cycle, you know, of of renewal that that happens in forested areas. You know, it, lightning strikes cause cause wildfires and burn things off, and and new growth sprouts up, and and that's how the forest renews itself. But it's a it's a different matter entirely. Uh, it's hard to be objective about it when homes and cities are built uh, in close proximity to it, and, and people's lives and homes are, are endangered. So we we hope they get the fire under control soon, and they they are safe while they're doing it. So with that, you know, one of the things that we try to do is, you know, you and I, you know, we're really appreciative of the folks that listen to the show, Kelly, and they. You know, they send us uh, emails and they, you know, get on our Facebook pages and, mm-hmm. and ask us questions. And, and really, those are the folks that, and we've said it before, those are the folks that inspire us. Those are the folks that motivate us to, you know, try to have some entertainment for them every week. And uh, we try to answer some emails when they come in. And we've got one that we want to kind of uh, bring to the forefront and kind of chat about. And we're not going to talk specifically about the systems in this or, or identify the individual just in case uh, it can get back. 
But, you know, here's an EMT that sends us a email that says, you know, I'm getting ready to take my exam soon, and I'm really excited to uh, work as an EMT, but I have some challenges with the companies that are around here, and I don't know who to go to work for. Uh, the bigger company is a system status, uh, system status management company, high-performance EMS, and it seems that they're more, uh, they care more about uh, turnaround times, and they care more about uh, you know the resources, and and less about patient care, and and the employees are just numbers. So Kelly, I, I thought it would be a really great discussion to talk about when you're in this position. How do you choose the right EMS system as a new employee, or, or even a tenured employee? Or I guess you wouldn't be a tenured employee, but uh, or even as an experienced employee uh, to pick the right system. And I'd be interested to know what you think. Well, you know, first I would say that he's lucky, actually, that he has two fairly reputable agencies to to choose from, both of which I'm uh, I've heard of. I'm not intimately familiar with them, but they they have decent reputations. Um, all too many EMTs get out of school and are are hired by one of those predatory Medicare fraud outfits that uh, that pressure EMTs into uh, doing shady things uh, so they can get reimbursed and and uh, change their documentation around and browbeat them into staying silent about it and and that's the situation that many brand new EMTs find themselves in. So he's got a uh, he's got some good choices in front of him. Um, you know, I was lucky in that I. You know, he, he paints a picture uh, of a, a very large agency um, that uh, he's afraid will treat treat the EMTs just like a, a number and a disposable resource. And then there's a smaller agency um, that uh, has a good reputation, but he's not quite sure of the uh, of the uh, facilities that they transport to. So, I. I started out in EMS. Uh, I was very lucky. I worked for a, a small mom and pop ambulance service that started literally over a weekend, and I didn't get paid for the first year of my employment in, in a paid EMS job. I didn't get a paycheck for the first year. Um, and and looking back on it now, twenty five years later, I still would have done that. I, I wouldn't have changed a thing uh, because it was a great place to grow and, and learn as a medic. Um, wasn't the best business, uh, best run business in the world, uh, to say the least, uh, but they had their priorities in order, you know, patients, partners, profits. Uh, and, and that was the, one of the first lessons my, my boss taught me is, is you, you let me, you worry about the first two, let me worry about the last one. Um, and what our, our listener is worried about is, is that the, uh, in the bigger agency that that last one comes first, profits come first, but. I don't know that that is such a bad thing. You know, uh, ultimately, healthcare is a business. EMS is a business. I don't care if it's taxpayer funded. I don't care if it's volunteer. I don't care if it's private for profit EMS. Uh, and for profit is, is loosely defined because the profit margins are razor thin. Um, but at its bottom line, healthcare is a business, and you have to run it well as a business if you want to keep the doors open, no matter how you get your funding. If you get it from taxpayer dollars, if you get it from Medicare and insurance reimbursements, you have to be fiscally sound and run as efficiently as possible to make the most of, uh, of the resources available to you. And so in, in that regard, I, I would tell him that he's probably worried about uh, – Worried, you know, much ado about nothing about, uh, you know, going to work for a larger company who's, uh, who's, in his words, apt to treat him like a number. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, Kelly, I think that when you get to the point of working for somebody who is, uh, you know, needing your service, and and that's really Mm -hmm. what it comes down to, and I don't know that we take a good approach to how we bring employees into our organizations. You know, we, you know, the goal that we need to do as leaders is we need to be able to get the very best out of our employees to help us be successful. Now, one of the things that's my pet peeve is we invite people into our organizations to help us be successful. If we Mm -hmm. take the stance that we're just hiring people to give them a job, we've already lost in our um, bid to become a successful organization. So we we sit across from these people and and, and we ask them questions and, and we listen to their answers. And then we make decisions and we invite them into our organizations to help us be successful, only to stick them in the corner and say, Uh, If you have a problem, let me know. And I think one of the things that we have to be able to think about is how do we grow the people that we invite to help us be successful so they can learn, so they can grow, so they can develop professionally, they can deliver the highest quality of patient care, they can help the organization get to the next level, and and that's what's going to help us be successful. Now, with that said, that's really one of the shortfalls that we have in our career field is that, you know, it seems that we just take the mindset of I'm giving you a job and you should be grateful for it. Well, if there's an organization out there that has that mindset, you really need to change your mindset or you'll never find yourself on the side of being a successful exactly. organization. Now, with that said, it, it, you know, if I go to our listener and I will say this to you, regardless of how the organization acts towards you, And hopefully the organization is going to be successful. It's going to care about you. It's going to treat you like a, uh, you know, like a resource. But you need to go in and do the best job that you can do. There's things that you have to learn. There's things that you have to experience. There's things that you have to make mistakes on. There's things that you have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, grow your skill set. And those are the things that you concentrate on. You know, you're going to find that your first year in EMS is going to go in the blink of an eye, and then you've gained valuable experience. When you now talk about, uh, you know, uh, spending a year or two years in a system status management, high-performance EMS system running over 100,000 calls a year, that's going to be three to five years of experience in any other system. So. Even if the organization doesn't uh, give you the support that you need to be successful or, as you mentioned, treat you like a number, you go in and do the very best job that you can. You go in and learn everything that you can. And this is a good opportunity to bring this up as well, Kelly, is that I don't know if you know this, but EMS is a very egotistical business. No, say it isn't so. No, it's so. It's so. But it's the egotism that keeps us from asking the questions why, because we don't want to look like we don't know what we're talking about in front of our peers. If you know everything there is to know about EMS out there, raise your hand. And the people who are raising their hand, find a new career field. But here's the thing. You need to be able to ask the questions to learn, to gain your experience, to, to deliver the highest quality of patient care, to treat people like you're, you know, they're your family members, you know, and how you'd want your family members treated. Everything that we're taught, because it seems that when people come into the organization, they fall into the minutia of complacency, and and they haven't even been there. It, it makes me crazy, Kelly, when you hear people that have been in EMS for a year who are talking about burnout, you know, and not that it doesn't happen, but I think that the approach that they've taken initially 
has caused those things to happen. So I'm not saying that burnout doesn't happen in a year, but I'm saying that you've allowed yourself to lead to burnout. You've got caught up in the complacency and the minutia of that organization. Yeah. Well, you know, if burnout occurs that quickly in your career arc, uh, that suggests to me that you you entered into the profession with uh, the wrong expectations or unrealistic expectations and or a bad attitude. Uh, I, you know, it's 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 not kind to say so, um, but some people just are unhappy. <laughs> and and that's their state of being um and many of them find themselves burned out in the first year or two because they think EMS is going to fix something that's broken inside of them uh for some of us it does work but for some uh but for many others uh it turns out to be just another job um my advice would be uh you know if you're choosing between agencies large and small is that there is no such thing as a perfect EMS system there, it does not exist. I, I have plenty of friends who are EMS gypsies who have, have spent, you know, 11 months or nine months with this, this agency and that agency, and they're always looking for the better job. Uh, and they develop a reputation after a while as pe- people that can't hold a job. Um, there is no perfect system out there. They all have their own degree of organizational BS. Um, the key is to find an agency whose organizational BS you can live with. Um, you know, a large agency uh, like like the one he's describing, yes, they may treat you like a number, but you have the ability to stand out if you apply yourself uh, and become more than just a number to them. There's one thing to, to be said for, for size is usually those agencies have figured out how to keep the bottom line healthy and to be fiscally sound. I'd like to ask him if he'd rather be one of those EMTs from TransCare uh, who were left without a job with virtually no warning or the, the story we spoke about last week where the the uh, owner of the ambulance service in San Diego, small family operated company uh absconded from town with everyone's paychecks um those those kind of things happen and they're very common in ems um you know you talk about high performance ems and and system status management i'll I'll quibble with you on system status management i always will uh but i'm i'm objective enough to say that my issues with system status management are probably because the system status management systems I've worked in uh, were not ideal. The one I'm working in now, they they don't really have a history or a culture that that has used system status management extensively, so they kind of work it out as they go. Uh, and the one I worked in previously, um, we had some dispatchers who were very good at manipulating the system. And uh, and punking their their uh, uh, ill-favored EMTs and and, and uh, ambulance crews uh, and putting them through a lot more uh, heartache than than needed to be. You know, I remember talking to uh, to Dale Loberger, who writes the uh, high performance EMS blog. Uh, and, who and Dale's Dale's a great guy and, and does system status management plans for a living that's that's what he does and he was flabbergasted to find out how much uh my system uh makes us do post changes but i think that's a that's a uh, issue where where you know they don't really have experience in doing that particular type of deployment model uh, and they're they're continually working out all the bugs um you know go to work for one of those big companies yes you may be a number 
but you'll be a number with a paycheck. Uh, and ultimately, the people that matter the most are the people that are sitting on the other side of the ambulance from you and the people that are sitting on your ambulance stretcher. Uh, the rest of them are just stuff on the periphery that you don't really have to uh, uh, trouble yourself over. And I think that, you know, you bring up a couple good points. And, you know, I, I'm a fan of system status management. You and I have debated this before. And I've seen system status management work where I've even said to my partner, we're all over that call. I mean, yeah, we, well, we, we were in the right place at the right time when we yeah. got the call. And when you project out, you know, where the, you know, the calls are going to be, I've seen the science work, but you, you've got to be able to work the science as well. There's formulas involved. And uh, I've been amazed that I've gotten a, a priority one cardiac arrest and I'm two blocks away from the call. And I'm like, yeah, that is a science. But as you mentioned, You've got to be able to work it. You've got to be able to do it well. Now, one of the things that you brought up, Kelly, that I wanted to touch on is that, you know, somebody is going to come into our organization. They're coming right out of school. They're motivated. They're fired up. They're first EMS job. And then they get into the organization that may be a little bit toxic. How do they keep their motivation? How do they keep that fired up mentality? Because we were talking about the people with burnout after a year, they burnt out because the job is too much or they burnt out because the culture of the organization. So that's what made me think of the question. But how do you now keep that fire burning when you walk into an organization that may have a toxic culture? That's a that's a sticky question because that's, you know, that's a very common thing. And, and I don't know so much that it's a toxic culture as it is a new EMT often gets put with a toxic person. You think about it, you're the, the very last guy hired, you're the lowest man on the totem pole, you have no seniority, you can't control which shift you get, who do they put you with? They put you on the truck with an opening, uh, and very often the truck with the opening uh, is staffed with a paramedic who can't keep a partner because he's so burnt out, bitter, and cynical. He's toxic. Um that's that's always been my issue with the value of experience in the field. Because quite often people get uh, their experience, uh, their initial experience in EMS from some burnout who can't hold a partner. But let me stop you right there and I'll let you go on. It's a toxic culture, Kelly, because they're allowing that person to continue to work within their organization. If we know that they can't keep a partner, if yeah. we know that they're, you know, they're, they're bad mouth in the organization or they're not delivering good patient care, to keep that person in our organization, in our employment, just because we need somebody in the seat is a toxic culture. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, and there's an easy way to spot those toxic people in EMS. Uh, if they spend their, you know, complaining is one thing, but if they spend their, their time complaining and bad-mouthing specifically other people within the organization uh, and they're running down other people, that's somebody you need to get away from. You know, you can you can gripe about the the system and the way it's designed and and uh, the amount of systems abuse you have. That's a complaint that all of us share and and all of us deal with it in our own way. But when you start, uh, you know, engaging in in rumor and innuendo and personal attacks and and talking about uh, other coworkers behind their back, that's the that's the cardinal sign that you're you uh, are a toxic person. Uh, and if you're a new EMT, you stay away from those kind of people because they will sour you on EMS in general, not just the uh, uh, your success at that particular agency. How do you how do you keep the the fire going? I don't know other than to say that. 
you know, you go back to the, the initial things that, that my boss taught me early on as you focus on the two things that should matter to you. Patients and partners, patients and partners, you know, yeah, your, your supervisor may be a jerk and your partner may be a jerk. Um, but very often, uh, there are two sides to a dysfunctional relationship and you have to be objective enough to look at, uh, at your culpability in it and, and make sure that you're not, uh, part of the problem. Um, but in the end, you, you focus on your partner, I mean, on your patients, um, and, and try to do the best job you can and be as good at EMT as you can, uh, you know, this is all a very long and roundabout way of saying focus on the things that you can control. You know, that's the way you'll find your, your job satisfaction is you focus on the way things that you can control and the things that you can't control. You, you don't let them weigh on your mind. And as you grow and, and as your skills and your knowledge and your experience grow uh, and your, your comfort level with your profession increases, you'll discover that there are a great many more things that you can control that you didn't realize. There are things that you can influence within your organization if you approach it the right way and you keep plugging at it. Yeah, I think that one of the things that you bring up that's very, very uh, poignant is that you were in charge of your own destiny. You were in charge of your own success. You were in charge of your own attitude. Happiness is a choice. Exactly right. No one can make you feel anything that you choose not to feel. So if I'm with somebody who has a negative attitude, if I allow myself to listen to their rant and, and listen to their rave, and and uh, then I, I'm going to develop that uh, negative attitude as well. As a new employee, you're coming in fired up. You're coming in motivated. You may hear the term, uh, forget everything you learned in school, I'm going to teach you the right way. You know what? I, I think that there's something to be said for experience more over than the classroom. I know where you're going to go, and I'm going to yeah. stop you. But <laughs> you know, I think that there's going to be... Uh, you need to understand your knowledge, but now you need to gain your experience. And you stay positive. You stay focused. You stay motivated. And, and let the people who are around you who are miserable, who are, who are soured, who, are, you know, who are, are cancers to the organization, let them work themselves out of the organization. But if you now buy into their rhetoric, if you buy into their, you know, subscribe to their negativity, you're not going to have a good time within that organization. I think Kelly said it right when he said that do your job better and cleaner than the next guy and build your reputation on being a solid partner, build your reputation on knowing uh, to anticipate a paramedic's needs, build your reputation on delivering the highest quality of patient care, and as Kelly mentioned, you will get noticed within your organization. Exactly. You know, and, and uh, the the phrase I, I would use is... Uh, Illegitimi non carborundum. That's a Latin slang for "Don't let the bastards get you down." Uh, but but that's the attitude I I tend to adopt. And I've I've been in the exact situation he's in. Um, not so much as a well. Uh, I've, I've been in it several times. My early career, uh, I applied for the big ambulance service across town, and they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't give me the time of day. So I went to the little small mom and pop service, who's uh, who one of their EMTs was a, uh, a childhood friend and a daughter of the the director of the EMS program that I graduated from, uh, and I went to uh, to see those people and wound up spending six hours on their couch uh, and and ran a few calls with them, and the next day I, I was offered a job, um, and and when I worked for Acadian, 
um, you know, I had heard all sorts of you know, uh, living in Louisiana. You know, Acadian is the five hundred pound gorilla in this in this state. Um, and from outside of Acadian, you hear all sorts of things. Uh, and you know, at the time I applied for Acadian, the reasons for doing it were many and varied. It don't really matter to the story. But but one of my some of my biggest uh, fears and trepidations were, you know, I'd, I'd be just a cog in the machine, and their protocols weren't all that great, and you know, and I don't, I'm a I'm an opinionated guy, and and uh, I don't know how well I'd fit into a system like that. Uh, it's very restrictive, and and come to find out, they felt the same way about me. They were like, you know, is, is Kelly going to fit in here? Uh, they had some trepidation about hiring me as well because by then they knew I had a blog. Uh, they knew I was a, a fairly um, uh, uh, well-followed EMS advocate who had some pretty strong opinions on things, and they, they wondered if I could, you know, become a, a team player in their organization. But one of the things I discovered was, uh, and I should have known this before uh, and had known it before, I just allowed myself to forget it, is that excellence and competence rises in any organization. You go to any organization and the good people will eventually stand out. If they don't stand out, they won't stay there for very long. But if they stay there for any period of time, they will stand out and those people for for right or wrong are judged by a different standard you know you you see em uh, paramedics who hesitate to go into nursing because they think you know i have so i have so much autonomy as autonomy as a paramedic i don't know if i could deal with the mother may i in nursing um but you've seen it and i've seen it chris you go to any good uh busy er and there's a certain class of er nurses that that um, the doctors place a great deal more trust in and they don't have to jump through those hoops because they have proven themselves to be worthy and, and they are afforded a great love, greater level of trust than many of their colleagues. And it's the same way at Acadian. Um, I came to work here and I discovered, yes, their protocols are not as advanced as I would like, but I have rarely, if ever, felt like my hands were cuffed behind my back in treating a patient because I could always make the case that if I had to deviate from protocols, it was necessary. Uh, and when they QA'd and asked me about those things and, and why there was a protocol deviation, they were receptive to my to my justification, my arguments, and, and they were appreciative of the documentation. And I, I fit in well into that organization. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy where I am. Uh, now, I've, I've been asked, would I like to be a, why am I not a supervisor at Acadian? Well, you know, that, that's where the having strong opinions and, uh, ideas about the way things are done, uh, sometimes clash. And that's why I don't wear a white shirt because, you know, as a, if I wear a a green shirt as a a street medic, um, uh, I am bound to follow their policies and procedures. I don't necessarily have to agree with them. Now, if I have a white shirt on, uh, I'm bound to enforce those. Um, and, uh, that's, you know, that's a a bargain I'm not willing to make. Um, but you're going to have to make that bargain, uh, to our, our listener. You're going to have to make that bargain, whatever organization you go to small or large. Um, you're going to have to, uh, to make some concessions because you will not find the ideal place for you. My final thought here is going to be to ask this question. Whose responsibility is it to make a successful organization? And a lot the people of people within it. Yeah. And, and, uh, but a lot of times people are going to point to the leadership of the organization. 
And, and I'm going to say that if you're relying on your leaders to develop an organization that you could be proud working in, um, you're going to have a very, very uh, unsuccessful organization. Yeah. Because now as you start to develop a vision for the future and as you start to develop develop a vision that's going to get you to where you want to be and delivering you know, whatever your vision statement is, everybody in that organization – has to work towards that vision. So, you know, to our to our EMT friend who sent us the email, I'm going to say, regardless of what organization you go into, it's your responsibility, it's your mission to deliver the highest quality of patient care, be the best employee that you can be, and help the organization to become as successful as you can make it. And regardless of what goes on around you, do not sell yourself out to complacency, do not sell yourself out to mediocrity because all you have now is the reputation that you're going to develop within your EMS career. And in the beginning, it's going to be tough. In the beginning, it's going to be challenging. In the beginning, it's going to be scary. But in the end, you're going to be known for your reputation and who you are as an EMS professional. And that's what you can control. Yep. Words. Uh, I, I couldn't say it any better than that. You know, you, you mentioned that, that leaders – alone do not make organizations. And this goes back to Nancy's favorite quote uh, from Peter Drucker, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It doesn't matter how how visionary the, the leader's goals are and how dynamic he is. If you can't get buy-in from the people on the streets and on the ground, uh, that vision will die on the vine. Culture will eat strategy for breakfast every time. Uh, if the culture there is toxic, it doesn't matter how good the leadership is. There, you know, it does reflect the leadership after a while because you've allowed that culture to grow and you've allowed the people that 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 foster that culture to stay. Um, but ultimately, the only people, only thing you can control is how you work as an EMT, and you have to build your your currency as a good provider by focusing on the things that you control. You know, and the last thing I'd say to him is is regarding the the smaller agency he was talking about, and and uh, it's question the questionable capabilities of some of the hospitals uh, that they transport to. I wouldn't worry at all about that. That's another one of those things that you don't control. Uh, and that may actually, there may actually be a silver lining in that cloud. Uh, having transported to many, many hospitals uh, whose capabilities were barely above what I could do in the back of a critical care ambulance, um, those are also places you can grow and learn. Uh, if nothing else, they're object lessons on how not to do things. Uh, but quite often, they appreciate the EMTs and ambulance crews far more than the, the large teaching hospitals do, uh, and they will utilize your skills and your skill set uh, and, and afford you a greater degree of trust than, than uh, an ER nurse or physician who sees 50 ambulance crews a day. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that, but uh, I have when, you know, there have been times when I was the, the code team for the hospital while I was on duty on the ambulance. They would call the ambulance up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, we got a cardiac arrest up here. Can you can you come help us work it? And we'd go up there and work the code. Or a nurse would call and say, well, I've got a really tough stick. You know, can you come up there and see if you can get an IV on this guy? Um, and uh there was there was a lot more camaraderie with those small hospitals, even though their capabilities weren't great. Um, uh, the people working in them usually were were good folks and uh, great to work with. 
But, you know, that's what I think. And who cares what Chris thinks? Well, we'll pretend we care what he thinks because he's the co-host of the show. But we'd like to hear what you think. So email us your concerns, comments, suggestions, questions at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week. 